0: Preacher AB HB Charles of uh, Metropolitan Shiloh Baptist Temple in Florida tells a story of a church that had an outside wall and on that church outside wall was engraved these words we preach Christ crucified. Along that wall at the bottom ivy began to grow up and as it grew it began to Drown out some of the engravings in that phrase and as it grew it said, we preach Christ. That ivy grew a little bit more and over the years that ivy just drowned up the last few words and it said simply, we preach. And sadly that is a parable of what has been true of many of our churches and many of us as individuals and in our own desires. There is little substance of Jesus Christ. And many times when Christ does appear there, He is just there to make our dreams come true. Rather than calling us to come and die so that we might live, to be crucified with Him so that we may taste of His glory in eternity. And a human experience can shift very quickly to smoke and mirrors. To an experience to something devoid of the very backbone of the faith that called us to God, the proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified. And so we do not build our identity on an environment, a style, but on spirit-dependent, bold, humble proclamation of the cross of Jesus Christ. And by way of review, because it has been a couple weeks, verse 10 of chapter 1 begins the actual body of the letter after the greeting. It falls into really, this letter, 1 Corinthians, falls into two main parts. 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to these, to this church because he refers to a letter he had written earlier. But but, but what is is ironic about uh, these letters here is God only wanted us to have two well, two letters here. First is at Corinthians. Those are the ones he, those are the only ones he, he saved for us in the Bible. So I can't imagine what the other letters written to this church that had so many problems would have said. But Paul responds to information about the Corinthians which he has heard by word of mouth in chapter 1 verse 10 through chapter 6 and verse 20. And then he replies to a letter with questions that the Corinthians had asked him in chapter 7, verse 1, and 16, verse 4. So that's kind of where the divide of the book is, the two parts of it, of the first letter. But in this first half, chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 20, Paul refers to four problems he's heard about that are plaguing the Corinthian church. There are factions and, 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 and uh, uh, div- divisiveness within the church body. In chapter 110 through chapter 421, we're going slowly through that part there uh, so that we understand the grounds of our faith. There is uh, immorality going on in chapter 5, verses 1 through 13 that Paul will then address after that. And there are lawsuits among the body itself, people bringing grievances to the public court of law, among their own church members that Paul has to call out, and then sexual immorality in chapter 6 or members of a woman named Chloe or household who has brought him news of the first of these problems in chapter 1 and verse 11. And the rope is unraveling here of the church that Paul had preached the gospel to, had seen people come to faith in Jesus Christ, established in their faith for 18 months, and now he has stepped away to go focus on other ministries, and he's hearing reports of these things, these threads that are starting to come apart. And specifically, the one that is mentioned right off the bat here is this idea of divisiveness and factions. People aligning themselves with certain leaders of the church instead of the one who builds the church, Jesus. And so Paul will spend ink on four chapters here, one, two, and three, and four, on the cross that centers us and propels us forward in unity and guides our words and our deeds in the church. And he deals with this four, this first of the four problems here at the greatest length. Because underneath of divisiveness and the other sin that came out in Corinth was an, a, a lack of applying the truth of the cross to their lives. And so, 1 Corinthians 1, 10-17 states the essential problem. Rival factions and Paul's solution is an appeal for unity in Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 1, 18 Chapter 4, verse 21 is going to unpack why that unity is so crucial and how it can become possible. And Paul lays out four things that need to be understood, that need to be believed, that need to be acted on if unity is going to be possible. And the first was focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 5. That is our text this morning. But next week, we're going to transition to chapter 2, verse 6 through 16, which is the second thing for achieving unity, understanding true spiritual wisdom. And after we finish that section, then thirdly, in chapter 3, recognizing the basic equality of all believers in Jesus Christ. And then chapter 4, treating Christian leaders appropriately. So just to back up in chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, I read those verses this morning, Paul's been sketching how the message of the cross divides the human race, and he is focused on those who reject the message. But in chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, the last message we took from 1 Corinthians, he turns exclusively to those who have accepted the message of Jesus Christ crucified. And he finds it there, uh, who they are, who who these people are in the very essence supports his vision of what the message of the cross is all about. These people who've accepted the message are not the people that the world looks at as the elite of society, the glamorous, the gifted. No, they're the nobodies. Then Paul makes his point and he offers a a reason for it and then ends with what a Christian view of boasting is. The Christian view of boasting is boasting in Jesus, not ourselves. And then this morning, chapter 2, 1 through 5, the attention to our text this morning, with this paragraph, Paul's going to conclude his argument here that the message of the cross and the Corinthians' very existence as believers stands in absolute contradiction to their attitudes of pride and divisiveness. And it connects with chapter 1, 18 through 25 here, that the kind of powerful speech and the leaders that they're enamored with is not what Christianity is about. What it is about is the cross. And God is in the process of overturning the world's systems and the world's values. we're going to break down chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We can break it down into two parts. You have verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 and 5. You can see in your text, they they begin with, and I, and I. And the first two verses, 1 and 2, they pick up the language of chapter 1 and verse 17, where Paul has said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And chapter 1 and verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block in the Greeks, foolishness. It reminds them of the content of Paul's teaching, his proclamation. And then verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2, reminds he reminds them of the form of Paul's preaching, the way he preached, and weakness. And this weakness is the power of God at work behind it expressed by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 5 of chapter 2 gives the reason for all this, so that their faith is of God and in Him alone, and not in human wisdom or human abilities. You see, what was going on in Corinth was a fascination in that Greek world of good speakers, people who were able to take a a large group of audience and, and convince them through persuasive uh, speeching and, and emotional appeals to, to change to a different opinion. That was highly prized in Paul's day. It trickled over from, from Athens, and so those were some of the values of the world that had trickled and seeped into the hearts of the Corinthians. And Paul's addressing this thing, no, this is different than the cross. This is different than the way of the cross. You see, the way of the cross, the, the, the power is not in man's ability to, to be eloquent, but it is in the message of the cross. These people were fascinated with flashiness, with style, with polished speaking. But the problem with that is that the speaker who resides in that has a folly of self-sufficiency and self-congratulation. And friends, if we're going to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be a church that is true to the Scriptures... And the first thing we need to understand is that the message of Jesus Christ is of first importance. It's of first importance. The content of the message of Jesus Christ is of first importance, not the style. We're going to talk about the style here in a minute here. But the message is of first importance. If we are going to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ and the church is to represent the king, then we are going to represent his message in verse 1 and 2. Look at the text. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul says, when I came to you, I deliberately chose to not follow the trajectory of the, um, of the way the, the Corinthians prized rhetoric and prized a, a special way of speaking but to speak plainly and deliberately, simply and clearly. He says, I determined our the choice to know nothing about you except Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And what he means by this is to know nothing doesn't mean he left everything else aside or all his other knowledge aside, but rather he had the gospel with the crucified Messiah as the singular focus of his passion when he was among them. You see, God has taken action in Jesus Christ. The good news is announced, it is proclaimed. God is not negotiating with sinners. God has set out the terms for peace with God, for man to be reconciled for Him. And this needs to be announced. And preaching or proclaiming the Word of God, either from the pulpit as I am, or simply speaking to another individual one-on-one, is the representation of the good news of God's gospel. God's good news. The only way by which men and women, boys and girls come to know Him. This preaching, this proclamation, these conversations, proclaiming, it doesn't mean you have to yell, proclaiming can just simply be speaking to another individual, even one on one, is, is, is you are mediating the message of God Himself. You are ambassadors of the King. This is more than something we have in our doctrinal statement. This is more than a creed. This sets out the priorities for the Christian life, the cross of Jesus Christ, the lifestyle, the context, the style of ministry. Because if God has supremely revealed Himself in the cross, and the crucified and risen Savior means dying daily and living to righteousness then how dare we adopt a style that is counterproductive to that? Calculated simply to win man's applause. And so Paul says, I knew nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because what he means is all he does and teaches is tied to the cross. That doesn't mean he gives a gospel message every time. But everything that he speaks of is tied to the atonement of Jesus Christ. And if you want to see examples of this, read his letters. His simple instructions to love one another and forgive one another is tied to the cross just as God in Christ forgave you. It's always connected to the cross. He is—he is—he uh, can't talk about Christian joy. He can't talk about what is right or wrong. He can't talk about our connectedness. He can't talk about the teaching of who God is or anything else without tying it to Jesus Christ and the cross. He is gospel-centered. He is cross-centered, and so must we be as a church, and so must we be as individuals. The message of Jesus Christ is of first importance. Represent the King by representing His message. And tonight, you want to go go a little further into this idea here, we're going to talk about what it means to speak the truth in love. We're going to find what the truth is here this evening at 6. But secondly, the message of Jesus Christ is to draw attention to Christ alone. In other words, represent the King by representing His manner. His ways. You know, Christianity for many years in the book of Acts was called, not Christianity, but the way. Which implied not just a set of creedal beliefs, a set of things we believe in our head, but a way of living. And the message of Jesus Christ, because it is to draw attention to Jesus Christ alone, is done by representing His manner. You see, it's not done by representing the ambassador. Now what would you think about the United States if we had an ambassador in another country and that ambassador thought his job was to make everybody see how wonderful he was. What a great person he was. In other words, he was just simply representing himself and not representing the interests of the country. That guy would need to be pulled. He'd need to be fired, right? He was all, he'd be all about himself. And yet, did you know that you can use Christian ministry to do the same thing? You can make it all about my personality. You can make it all about your, your, uh, your, your uh, um, uh, pet peeves. Uh, and you, and you, and you, and when you do that, you are drawing attention from the one who is worthy of all glory to yourself. Look in verses 3-5, to five. he says, that I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech, and my proclamation, my preaching, was not with persuasive or enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. He says in verse 1, When I came to you, I came not with excellency or superiority of speech or of wisdom when I came to you declaring the testimony of God. So Paul deliberately made a choice, is what he's saying here. He's saying, I, Paul, refused to take the way of Greece and impress you with flashiness as a speaker. But I came and I spoke to you in plainness of speech and directness of speech. Certainly that was all encased in love, which is the, the sincere desire for the best of that individual. He says, I, I came to you in plain speech and frank speech and simple speech and clear speech is what he's saying. In other words, there was nothing in how I was presenting the message of Jesus Christ that was to draw attention to myself, but it was to draw attention to Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying is, I refuse to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, in this way that you think I should. To be the guy who just woos and impresses crowds with his speaking ability. Now, could Paul have done that? Some people take this passage and say, well, Paul didn't have the gifts to do that. Paul, I believe, is very capable of speaking in such a way. If you look at his speeches and acts, and you look at his writing here, Paul is very capable of being a very polished, of being a very capable, uh, clever speaker. But what Paul is saying is this. I avoided artificial communication that would win plaudits for the, for, the, for the speaker, but distracted from the message. That would put the spotlight on me as the ambassador rather than the king who I represent here. Because the message of Jesus Christ is to draw attention to Christ alone. I think so much... Of what is, 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 is going on in, in, in Christian ministries around the world today is about drawing attention to amazing speakers or amazing abilities instead of the one who gives these things. And Paul says, I refuse to distract from the message. And he is obviously showing that anything that jeopardizes the gospel and the clarity of the message of a crucified Lord, he will reject. Anything that's not, that does not reinforce the message of a humbled, crucified Messiah, clever or witting or amusing or glittery or flashy discourses here, might be applauded by crowds. But how does that square up? With the shame of the cross is what Paul is saying. Paul's not going to do it. Warren Wearsby tells the story of a certain church that had a beautiful stained glass window behind the pulpit. And there in that stained glass window uh, was a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. And one Sunday there was a guest speaker there who was much shorter than the regular pastor. Much smaller little girl was listening to the to the guest speaker for a time and she turned to her mom and she said where's the man who usually stands there so we can't see Jesus referring to the window there a lot of truth in that isn't there you see the job of us as messengers is not to draw attention to our abilities and our skills or think that if we don't have a flashy presentation that it's not good enough our job is to simply represent the content of the message, Jesus Christ. Yes, we appeal. Yes, we are creative in it. Yes, we use the abilities God's given to us. But what are our motives for that? To bring glory to Jesus. We think of men who were gifted, right? Like Charles Spurgeon, an amazing communicator, George Whitefield uh, during the um, First Great Awakening of the United States and the colonies here. We were very gifted orators. Their words carried power, but they did not depend on their natural talents. That's what Paul is saying here. And by the way, just, just as a poll here, and I don't want you to answer this, but how many of you were converted to Jesus Christ through the message of someone very ordinary? Your mom or your dad? A faithful pastor? A regular layman in the church? How many of you were brought to a normal, honest conversation and encounter with Jesus Christ through that? Probably most of us. It's not that God can't use creativity. It's not that He doesn't use people's gifts and that certainly people might be better as public speakers than others. It's that that's not where the power rests. So the message of Jesus Christ is to draw attention to Christ alone, to represent the King by representing His manner. Paul refused to be the one who was, who has a spotlight on him. And he chooses, he says, deliberate, bold humility. Look at he says, my speech in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, he says. So Paul chose to speak this way uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 18. We don't have time to turn there, but Paul needed special encouragement from God himself because he was in weakness and fear and trembling there as he realized the task that God had put before him. And God shows up on his behalf. In the next letter, 2 Corinthians, it will say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because God's grace is shown in my life instead of me, Paul. And friends, as long as your ticket here is people being impressed with your powerful personality, your impressive gifts, there's very little room for you to impress them with a crucified Savior, isn't there? And So to close it all, Paul will trust the Holy Spirit to use the message. He didn't manipulate people, presented the message, called them to respond to it, in repentance and faith, and he left it there. He says in verse 5, at the end of verse 4, he says, this was in demonstration, this was an obvious proof of the Spirit and of power, because he says, your response to the message of the crucified Savior couldn't have been because I was an awesome guy. Couldn't have been because I was a persuasive, uh, enticing uh, 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 speaker who simply just appealed to your emotions. But what happened was, the Spirit of God took that content of that message and He put it deep because it was simple, it was frank, and their reception was not because of manipulation, not because of the awe of His delivery, uh, delivery but simply believing and receiving and trusting and resting and the truth of Jesus Christ. And He says in verse 5, "...so that your faith could not stand in the wisdom of men." Your faith wasn't because of the abilities and what impresses man in this world, but in the power of God. He's not rejecting preaching. He's not rejecting persuasive preaching. He is bringing them face-to-face to to the real danger of self-reliance and the speaker letting the form and content get in the way of what should be the single concern the gospel proclaimed through human weakness, but accomplished by the powerful work of the Spirit so that lives are changed. This needs to be true of our Sunday school. This needs to be true of our youth ministry. This needs to be true of our pulpit. This needs to be true of our personal lives. And this needs to bring boldness and humility and confidence in your personal encounters with the unsaved world and you're speaking the gospel. It's not about you. That takes a big pressure off, doesn't it? You don't have to be a car salesman to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Sorry for car salesmen. You have to speak the truth of God's Word. You are simply a representative ambassador of the King. See, the message of the cross smashes the idols of our even our church world, doesn't it? Our self-promotion, our professionalism, our... Resting in our methods instead of the message. And by the way, methods are okay. Paul will speak in 1 Corinthians 9 about different methods that he uses. It's not resting in them, though. It's not resting in them. Biblical proclamation emphasizes the gospel of Jesus Christ and elevates Christ crucified. It recognizes that the cross is not just simply what we say we believe, But it also is the philosophy of our ministry. We relate everything we do to the crucified and risen Savior. And by the way, if there's anyone who in this world should have and could have brought glory to himself, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ, wouldn't it? But he became a man of no reputation. He didn't seek to build crowds. And he says some hard things that thin out quite a few of the crowds that he had. But he spoke the truth. He was compassionate. He was firm. He was clear. He was frank. And they killed him. And he proved to be victorious beyond the grave. As he was resurrected. And friends... Our ministry should be in line with our Savior. Crucified and risen Messiah. <clears throat> not me, not you, or representatives. Let's pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper this morning. Lord, we thank you again for the power of the cross. Time and time again in this passage, we see the words crucified, Christ, spirit, power, weakness, in and of ourselves. Lord, we're reminded that these things have culminated in the cross of Jesus Christ to show us what true glory is and what true spirit dependence and the message is as well. May we be people whose loyalties are tied and lashed to the mast of our crucified and risen Savior, rather than personalities or authors or you name it, anything distract us from you. Thank you, the cross is not only our creed, it's a standard, the way we do things, the way we serve you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.